Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future in Review podcast. I'm Barrett Anderson, uh, the COO of Future in Review and Strategic News Service. And I'm here, uh, as usual this week, with Mark Anderson, our CEO, who is also the author of this week's Global Report, all about Watson, IBM, Theranos, uh, and the future of AI and healthcare, and how we are nearing a, not nearing, we are in the middle of a new emergence of machine learning and healthcare and its potential for new discoveries. So Mark, thank you for writing about this topic. We've talked a lot about um, ethical AI and the importance of the black box, uh, solving the black box problem in neural networks in past podcasts. Um, so I think uh, our, our, our viewers are probably pretty well versed. Let's assume that they're pretty well versed on that topic mm-hmm. uh, for today. And I want to talk focus more today on the applications of what you were talking about. So um, you mentioned, you write about Theranos and IBM's Watson as kind of disasters in the field of AI and healthcare. And I'm wondering if you could tell me, in your opinion, what made those companies such disasters? Sure. And they're in those two pairings, right? AI over here and healthcare over there. Watson was kind of a beautiful disaster, you know, like a perfect storm. There were so many things that were wrong. It's just kind of awe-inspiring, really. Um, And um, IBM, of course, had the product. Uh, They were selling it as the epitome of AI, I think, to everybody. They focused on healthcare because that's where all the money was. they went on Jeopardy and they beat the Jeopardy team and that got them a lot of marketing muscle. Everybody thought it was the future of AI. First problem was all the Jeopardy, no, three quarters of the Jeopardy questions came from Wikipedia. So all the system had to do was read. And Watson, if nothing else, was probably the best reader in the world. It read, I forget, it's like 10,000 pages a second. It really was good at reading. Not thinking, reading. Yeah. So um, it, it read, and I would call it parsing. So you kind of knew the structure of a sentence. So if you said, who is George Washington? It would tell you who George Washington was. Great for Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Not great for curing cancer. And even today, the saying is that Watson has not saved a single life. I don't know if it's true. Probably true. So um, there was even a deeper problem with being a great reader if you're going to healthcare. Studies have shown us that the top two medical journals it was reading mm-hmm do not have reproducible results in their results. So in other words, they're cheating. They're they're like conference. They're they're often sponsored by a corporation or some private entity. They throw out data they don't like. They insert data that may not be true. It's, It's pretty fraudulent and cannot be reproduced by other laboratories. Therefore, you wouldn't want to read as a, as a path to curing. It's not a great path. And so they they had a double jeopardy in what they were doing. And it was the biggest failure of all time, maybe of all products. It was quite a a crater that was created there. Um, If you switch over to the main healthcare world, you say, well, Theranos, that was just fraud. And it's not about AI, it's just fraud. Yeah, She's going to jail and who else? But um, the idea that you could build a fraud what was it, 9 billion, I think it reached in valuation. And you've got Henry Kissinger and all these generals on the board and what could possibly go wrong, except no one on the board knew biology right? or biochemistry or, or blood chemistry, which is all the stuff they were doing. So 
it was a complete gap between the stated charter of the fraudulent enterprise and the people who are supposed to govern it. And you know, you can make up your own reasons why that happened, but it it was so obvious if all you did was just look at the board, and it's like you're just seeing all these old guys, and they're from the military. Well, I'm sorry, I like the military, but I wouldn't put them on the board of a biotech company. So it was a complete fail for, for a good reason. Don't ever do that again. For a good reason. I'm not sure it was a good reason. Oh, bad reason. And, and don't ever invest in a company like that either. So yeah. anyway, it was, you know, in retrospect, it was quite predictable. You have a, a dropout who's probably not very well versed in that world. And you have a bunch of people to govern the dropout who didn't have any idea what they were doing. So, those so are, there's healthcare and, and AI like in the last 10 years, you know, these are the biggest events maybe that happened. So tell me more about, you know, you're running a, a biotech company now, essentially a biotech company. It's not a biotech that's, company, it's a computing company. That's right. But you're focused on biotech as a, as a field for discoveries. Yes. What impact has, have those two failures had on your ability? To, like, how has that affected your, your ability to do business? So from the Theranos side first, if you asked any startup in the Valley, not just in healthcare, they would say that just created such a crater that no one's going to, you know, do anything in AI for a long time or any healthcare thing or any young startup, or it just created a gigantic crater in terms of investment. People were so gun shy for years. It was like, are you Theranos? Are you Theranos? Are you Theranos? No, there's only one of those. No one wants to be the so, next Theranos. And therefore yeah. they're afraid of investing in companies that they think might have that. Yeah. I think now, I don't know, it's five or 10 years later, I think we finally got over it, but it took a long time. And then same thing with Watson in a different way. Here's IBM. Now, IBM, I think, lost money in increasing revenues going down every quarter for, I don't know, years. But this, the CEO didn't get fired. I don't know why. And they were pushing Watson the whole time. And so you had big places like MD Anderson, world famous cancer center, buying it. I believe they spent 20 million. They just flushed that money out. They literally just said, threw IBM out of the place. This is a complete waste of time. So um, the bow wave of that was equally large or worse because IBM was behind it. So it's almost like you've got from a funding perspective, which is the the uh, the blood of every startup. Sure. Right? You've got no no funding coming in from the investment side. Or little funding coming in from the investment. It's not, it's not no. It's just that these guys really created an impact. Right, but what I'm saying is, like from an ecosystem perspective, mm -hmm. there's probably a big decrease in overall investment dollars. Yeah. Into that space. Yeah, for a while. Yeah. For a while, and then at the same time, you have a decrease in in ability to generate partnership or revenue dollars from medical institutions or organizations that were particularly gun shy based on some of that past right. IBM, right. yeah. etc. Yeah, it was really, really damaging to the ecosystem of people trying to work in um, machine learning and artificial intelligence and in healthcare. Right. So I think we've finally gotten over that. Now it's five or 10 years later, but these, these were very unfortunate events that could have been avoided. And so now that we are moving beyond that, what is the state of artificial intelligence and biology today? Where are we? So, um, or healthcare, really. Let's healthcare, healthcare. yeah. Um, so we're, we're at a really amazing pivot point in both. And the, the past is a bit embarrassing and the future is really exciting. So um, 
I've already told you one dirty little secret. It's really a dirty big secret about healthcare. Half the journal articles in national in the New England Journal of Medicine. All right, we kind of glossed right right over the, that that uh, that allegation. It's, it's been proven. Yeah. So, so papers have been written about this. So it's like okay, half the stuff that's published is garbage. Now what do you do? And in, in our medical system today, there's this term called standard of care, which ought to scare the living daylights out of anyone who hears it. Because it's not about you surviving your doctor, your doctor's treatment of you. It's about the doctor not being sued after you die. So it's a legal term. And if your doctor performed according to the standard of care, then um, he or she will, will survive the lawsuit, no matter whether you die or not. And unfortunately, as far as I can tell, that is the current thing. When you walk into the hospital, that's the deal. And so whatever's wait, wrong wait, with you. Wait, hold on. Let me yeah. let me take that back a step. Does that mean when you define standard of care, how is it defined? Like, what does is it sound it, like? Well, I'm, that's what I'm asking. It sounds about. like standard of care. It's what we all do. It's what we all do. We all do it. It's the same thing we all do. So it doesn't guarantee you outcome. Doesn't mean I'm going to save your life. It doesn't mean that it's based on science. It doesn't mean it's based on the best science. It doesn't mean that I'm keeping up with research in the field. It doesn't mean that I'm assuring you as a patient of anything except I'm doing the same thing Bob would do. So it's based on a past a past medical practice that has held up in court, essentially. Is what you're saying? That's a good way to put it. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's a kind of a shield. It's not ill-intended. It's just what everyone hides behind. Right. So you got standard of care. Now, the most exciting thing is evidence-based medicine. You may have heard of evidence-based. And when I first heard that, I thought, wait a minute. Isn't all medicine evidence-based? all evidence-based? And the answer is, of course, no. So um, there's evidence-based. That's a nice idea. It's kind of coming into vogue now. I would like to be treated with evidence-based medicine. I I would, too. I would, too. Um, So anyway, that's, you know. That's where we are. That's until today, basically where we are in healthcare. And on AI, it's equally bad because here's the problem. When someone says AI, it's always neural networks. The people who are really good at neural networks realize there's another dirty little secret, which is a really big secret. AI has three big failure points that are constraints by nature of the AI math, which prevent big things from happening. So you're not going to likely make major, what we call pattern discoveries using today's neural networks. And when you hear AI, only 99.9% of the time, they, what people mean is neural networks. Okay. So um, one problem was what's called the black box problem. We've talked about that. So you, even if you're Google and you, you, know, you have great stuff, you run it, you can get a high prediction rate for what you're doing, but you cannot tell anyone how it did it or why it did it. Yeah. Right. And without that information, good luck in making a major discovery. You're not, you're just, the next thing is what I call the wall. You run it the first time, it's 10% better. You run it the second time, now it's 3% better. You run it the third time, it's 1%. Now it's half a percent. You know, now it's half of a half a percent. You run out of runway here. It's like it's return, in, declining returns on investment of time. Right. So that's the wall. Okay. That's not leading you to great in, in, invention or discovery either. And then, of course, you have to have a hypothesis. Hypothesis. So even if your hypothesis is contained in setting parameters on a Google system, it's still a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that my hunch is right about these parameters. And it, uh, by bringing your bias to the game, 
you almost are sure that you won't discover something you didn't expect. Right. It's it's kind of like um, if I were to like I'm just trying to think of a, a good way to describe this, but what you're doing is saying here's how we have a, this existing set of understanding of how things work, and within that set of understanding, we can increase efficiency by up to I don't know ten percent, twelve percent of our existing systems. But there's no way using neural networks, current neural networks. With which have the black box problem to advance that understanding beyond that efficiency. That's right. If there were a wholly different signaling system at work in your body, which had a hundred percent impact or fifty percent impact, you'd never you would see. never discover it. Right? Yeah. So therefore, you wouldn't make a major discovery. You tweak it. So that's it. That's kind of where we've come to now. Now, um, this this podcast isn't intended to be a, a PR front. For pattern computer. No. Nope. So, um, but it, it does so happen that, uh, you know, I think you guys have made some pretty <laughs> exciting discoveries in that space uh, recently, some of which you wrote about in the Global Report this week. And I'm curious if you could talk about what those are, given the fact that, as we've talked about before, pattern has created a new mathematics that allows it to solve the black box problem in existing neural networks. Yep new ethical explainable AI. Yep. Um, and that you are using this pattern computing architecture, which was originally developed on stage at Future and Review as mm -hmm. part of the CTO challenge, mm -hmm. and which is now a company worth more than a billion dollars, Yep. which you run in your spare time. Right. Uh, when you're not making the spare time. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a joke, by the way. I know, yeah. It takes a lot of time and energy, as you know. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious, so, so, can you tell us a little bit more about some, given those those advances in computing architecture and artificial intelligence, what are some of the discoveries that you've been able to make through Pattern? Sure. Yeah, and, and it's, the system's agnostic, so you, it can do whatever you ask it to look at it, to look at it. Um, recently, we have announced, well, here's something I just found out yesterday, Barrett. Um, in the year 2022, Pattern Computer has been working on uh, the top five cancer killers, as you probably know. And um, in that world of the top five cancer killers, in this calendar year, we have announced, we have announced on average five new novel patentable drugs for those cancers per month. Per month. Per month. Within that time frame this year. We have also, we can also now say, of those, we have announced at least one per month that's passed one or more positive tests to kill that cancer. So, wow. Wow. I don't think anyone's ever done that in any world that I know of. So, that's a big uh, idea. yeah. So, there is a, a qualitative and quantitative difference in the experience of running what we call discovery engines beyond neural networks against these uh, problems without using a hypothesis, break through the black box and, and get major discoveries. So um, we uh, helped another company that does breast cancer detection with tears increase, improve their output by, or their predictive results by 30 to 40%. That's a gigantic change at a time when people are, are happening at 3%. Right. Um, as you're aware, we now got what looks like 
the fastest, cheapest, most accurate COVID detection system. That's really important. And that's not an incremental improvement either. So it looks like we can do better than PCR. We do it in three seconds for, for a dollar or, or two a test. So it's a really big difference that this kind of system can make. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I was not aware of the, the uh, rate of discovery that, that you'd reached. Me either. We literally sat down yesterday and started counting. Been too busy, head down doing the work. So sit back and start counting, but we did. Yep. And so when you think about the future of healthcare, what does this, what does this entail? Well, then I mean, imagine where, where are we beyond, going? Yeah. Okay. Imagine going beyond what we just discussed, where it's standard of care today. That's scary stuff. You know, that's really frightening. That's medieval to me. So what if you had only data-driven um, work going on in the hospital? So if someone's going to give you a drug, it's driven by your data. Maybe it knows, the system knows your genome, knows what mm -hmm. your genetics is. Maybe it knows your past history. Uh, do you have any issues? You know, all the stuff that you get one question about. Maybe you get a, a survey of your body or of your health system records so that there are 10,000 inputs or 39 million inputs, 20,000 genes input. So you're getting a very broad array of inputs to personalize to you, and then also about the disease. So if it's cancer, it's not just like today's classifications. It would be, let's get the genome of that cancer. Let's take a look. Let's in real time, let's address that. We know which genes are involved. Let's, let's use the drugs that are best against those genes. Let's fix you if that's the problem. And, and so whether you have a, you know, a common cold or COVID or whatever you got, data-driven, not hunch-driven, not see me in the morning, take two of these kind of thing. You know, which, who doesn't get that? And so a radical change driven by data, real data, personal data and scientific data combined to help you out. And so I think there is a, I'm, I'm curious, like this is all very exciting and it's still in the discovery phase. Yes. What do we need to do? Like what would the industry need to do? What, what do we as, as viewers need to do to accelerate this transition? Well, the viewer part's hard. Um, I would just be more and more aware of the availability of things like this. They'll always cost a little more in the beginning. Not always. Not the COVID thing costs less. So maybe both happen economically. Something will be less, some will be more. But if you, if you have... As a patient, if you have a point of view that you care about science, you care about being treated with data-driven uh, treatments, you by asking questions, you'll do better for yourself or your family than by just assuming that standard of care is okay. And are there medical institutions, if you are a consumer, that are doing this stuff well? Not yet, but they're trying. So... Um, I won't name any right now, but I, there are definitely teams that are trying to be really good at this. And the, the better the tools they get, the better it'll be. Um, I, I just came up with a phrase that I kind of like that expresses this pretty closely. And it, it's something that archaeologists would immediately understand. And the phrase is, we'll be known by the tools that we use. They will know us by the tools we use. And so, of course, archaeologists know past human beings that way. Mm -hmm. These are the Clovis people. They use Clovis tools. How did they make them? They made them with these rocks. So how will we be known in 100 years from the archaeologists then? They'll be doing you know, crypto archaeology in our computers, but they'll say, oh, they used 
neural networks. Oh God. I was I was gonna ask, will will pattern computing hold up to generations of of weathering and decay? Oh, for at least ten years. <laughs> Uh, well, that's why we work on it every day. We have to keep it getting better. Well, will the, will the future civilizations be able to find to find pattern computers within the uh, ruins of our? Well, you know, I, I don't know about pattern. I hope so. But but the things that we're addressing, the answer would be yes. So when you make a pivot breakthrough in healthcare, or you make a pivot breakthrough in mathematics, or if those two things together help each other. Whether they'll remember pattern, I don't know. I hope so. But but certainly they will remember the mathematical leaps, and they'll have they'll use them, and they'll use things beyond that, and and they'll remember the changes in treatments that that suddenly did what we just talked about, and they'll remember that, and they'll use that even if they use what's beyond that. Sure of that. Um, two, two one last thought before we before we sign off, uh, and one question which is the thought being, I really think you might want to think about investing in some heavy duty stone tablet inscriptions <laughs> to maintain the future viability of pattern mathematics. Yeah. Uh, and the second qu the question is this, which is if you, so let's say our, you know, we, I'm not quite sure who our viewers might be, who all of them might be. But if you are running a company or doing work that would benefit from pattern computing, how do they, how would someone reach out to, to pattern? What's the right avenue for? You just go to our website and you know, write to me, Mark at pattern, MRK at patterncomputer.com. And the website is uh, full of information so they can learn more. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I will add one more plug here, which is, um, if you had been an SNS subscriber already, you would have known this stuff and you will know more about this yeah. topic uh, than we have covered a lot more than we have covered in, in this conversation. So if you are not already a member of Strategic News Service, you can do that at stratnews.com. The first month of your membership is free. I encourage everyone to join. We also have uh, a pretty amazing uh, monthly member happy hour that's included in your membership. Um, with experts from around the world in all different spaces. So um, we just hosted one with Molly Wood, who is the head of uh, the managing director of Jason Calacanis's Climate Fund. Um, we are confirming our, we'll have another coming up September uh, the 8th, I believe, it's a Thursday, um, second Thursday in September. So lots of, of benefits of SNS membership and including the ability to interact with Mark and I at any given time. There you go. So hope hope that everyone will, will consider joining. Thank Mark, you. Thank you for your time. That was and fun. I look forward to our next week's conversation. I never know what they're gonna be at be about. No. Nope. <laughs> thank you.